You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Today's Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of the Lord. G'day everybody. If you haven't met me, I'm Pastor Luke. And how about we pray as we get into God's Word. Father, we uh, thank you for the opportunity to look at a very uh, complex but important issue tonight. We ask that you will give us clarity and wisdom. You give me humility and that uh, we will respond to truth uh, with humility as well. But Lord, uh, just, just lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1.27. We actually looked at this verse a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? When we thought about gender equality. This, this verse explains how God made humanity in his image and likeness, male and female, he, she, him, her. It seems very clear, doesn't it? It's very obvious and, and fundamental. In fact, it's the fundamental idea of all societies throughout history, that there are men and there are women. But in our generation... This has been questioned uh, in a social and cultural movement called transgenderism, which has questioned the male and female binary. This had been building for some time. In fact, the very first gender reassignment surgery is as far back as 1930, but it's only really gone mainstream in the last 10 or 15 years. Perhaps the, one of the key moments came in 2015 when Bruce Jenner became Caitlyn Jenner, sent shockwaves, first of all because he was so famous, stepfather to the Kardashian girls, star of a reality TV show, but more than that it was Jenner's past life, a hero at the 1976 Montreal Olympics, athletic, successful, clearly very masculine, and then suddenly featured in a revealing dress on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine, and then later that year named Woman of the Year by Glamour magazine. Since then, it's been remarkable how quickly the ideas of transgenderism have taken hold. We're all familiar now with things like preferred pronouns. And yet I know that some of this may be still somewhat of a mystery or there's a lot of debate around lots of different terms. There's lots of terms bandied about like gender identity, gender fluidity, cisgender, transgender and so on. And so perhaps before we go on, I thought it'd be helpful to define exactly what we're talking about here. So if you're looking at your notes, service.coos.com, I've kind of provided a bit of a glossary. Let's start with this idea from Preston Sprinkle. Transgender is an umbrella term for the various ways in which some people experience incongruence between their biological sex and their gender identity. Biological sex is our anatomical sex. It's defined by our chromosomes, our reproductive systems, our hormones. These are the primary characteristics of of your sex. And as you get older and go through puberty, secondary characteristics emerge, such as facial hair and so on. Now, when I was growing up, biological sex was seen as synonymous with gender. 
So you might have a form and it might say, what's your sex? Or it might say, what's your gender? It didn't really matter. Either was the same thing. They, they meant the same thing. Now, however, that is disputed. People now speak of gender as a social construct, a collection of societal norms and cultural expressions that vary according to time and place and are therefore subjective. And then this is seen to shape a person's gender identity, the way that they, their internal sense of who they are, of the gender that they feel most corresponds to them. This might relate, this might align to their biological sex, in which case you're considered cisgendered, or it might not. You might feel a conflict between your sex and your gender identity. Uh, this conflict can be very distressing for people. And so we call that distress gender dysphoria. And often people will try to relieve that distress by expressing that divergent gender identity. So a man might start to present as a woman, taking feminine pronouns or changing their name and wearing women's clothing or so on. Or someone might go further. A teenage girl, for instance, might start taking puberty blockers to halt their development, begin hormone treatments, testosterone injections, for instance, and eventually they might even decide that they want to have surgery to remove parts of their body. Uh, what's remarkable is how this has kind of taken off in the last decade. Uh, the Gender Identity Development Service of, of Britain saw a fourfold increase in referrals from 2014 to 2019. The CDC in America claims that the number of transgender people doubled between 2017 and 2020. They, they say that 1.4% of all 13 to 7 year olds, 17 year olds are transgender now. Uh, between 2016 and 2017, the number of gender surgeries performed on females in the US grew by 289%. Perhaps what's most noticeable, though, is how people's response to all of this is changing. Now, gender dysphoria is still listed as a mental disorder by the American Psychiatric Association, but there has been a lot of calls more recently to remove this because rather than seeing it as a disorder, people now want to embrace this gender incongruence. And so you'll hear terms like non-binary or genderqueer or pangender, pan uh, gender fluid. This is for people who feel like they don't fit within this binary of male or female. In fact, the Carlton AFLW player Darcy Vecchio uh, recently revealed that she is non-binary and goes by they, them pronouns. And amidst all of this, there has been uh, increasing calls for trans rights. Trans women, for instance, people who are born as male but want to present as female, identify as female, uh, demand access to women's spaces, bathrooms, sporting competitions, prisons, domestic violence refuges, and so on. And here in Victoria, there are now new laws that mandate affirmation of transgender people. Any attempt to uh, kind of delay or resist someone's expressing their gender identity is seen as gender suppression and is punishable. We've also seen dramatic changes to our language. And so now we speak about uh, birthing parents or chest feeders and so on. It is kind of to change the way we think about parenting. So how should we respond to all of this? I mean, this is, of course, a radical new understanding of gender. Where once it was simple, your body told you your gender, now it's highly complex and always shifting. It's contested. It's actually something that you get to define. 
So how should we respond to this as a society? And even more, how should we respond as God's people, as the church? And I say this knowing that this may be a very live issue for people here. It may be that we have someone here who's struggling with gender dysphoria. But actually, I suspect what's more likely is that we are affected by it indirectly. Perhaps there's a colleague at work who's now asking that everyone uh, refers to them with different pronouns. Perhaps you're part of a school that's grappling with the realities of someone who identifies as, as a transgender person. How do you give, do you give them access to different toilet or camp accommodation and so on? Almost certainly, if you're a parent, your child is thinking about this or will very soon. I was chatting to a dad a few weeks ago whose daughter, he said, is caught up in this transgender stuff and he's wondering how to respond. A few weeks ago, I was preaching down in Geelong and I was chatting to one of the youth leaders and she, she'd done a session on transgender rights with the youth group just a couple of nights before and she said there was, a, there was one of the youth said to her, look, when you talk about this, it's really clear that it's black and white for you. So why is it so grey for us? And I just thought that was such a revealing moment. You see, for me, or for anyone really who was, grew up before 2018, gender was a very simple concept. You're a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. We grew up in a binary world. But the coming generation is not growing up in that. They're growing up in a much more complex world than us. So what do we do about that? And, and as Christians, we, we kind of, we're always looking to the Bible to give us wisdom, but does a book that was written 2,000 years ago have anything to say about something that's just happened 10 minutes ago? Well, I think it does. I think it's got principles and ideas that will shape how we can respond to this. And so I want to actually start tonight by, by talking through the story of gender in the Bible. To repeat Genesis 1:27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. As I said a couple of weeks ago, this means that we are made by God, that we are designed by God, that he does this deliberately and lovingly. We're made in his image, made in his likeness, made to reflect our creator. And one of the ways that we do this is through gender because we are made in his image, male and female. And so there is value in each gender and value in gender itself. There's something significant about it. God designed us with gender and somehow our gender, our masculinity or our femininity, speaks to who God is. It shows the world what God is like. And so there's something important about that. God has a plan. Gender is part of God's plan for you and for me, for the world. It's a physical, biological reality. God has given us bodies shaped this way and he wants us to express that, to, to live that out. And yet we also, as we continue on in the Bible, see that the fall has disrupted life, disrupted everything around us. Humanity's rebellion against God sabotaged the world. It corrupted everything that was good, God's good creation. And this affects everything. It affects the environment, it affects our relationships, it affects ourselves, and I think it's also affected our experience of gender. Consider, for instance, how it's affected people's bodies. 
Uh, there are people who are born with confused or indeterminate gender. Uh, doctors speak of DSDs, disorders of sexual development, or chromosomal or hormonal defects. Uh, take, for instance, someone with Kleinfelder syndrome. Uh, a woman is born with XX chromosomes and a man with XY chromosomes. Uh, some men, however, are born with XXY chromosomes. Uh, this means that they have lower levels of testosterone, less facial hair or body hair than the average male. That's just one example of a DSD, and there's actually dozens of these. And the term, broad term given for this is, is intersex, someone born with a reproductive anatomy that doesn't seem to fit the typical definitions of male or female. It's important to note, however, that these are both extremely rare and generally treatable. First of all, they're extremely rare. They might affect one in 5,000 births, for instance, and they're also generally treatable and resolve naturally. As an intersex person develops, particularly during puberty, their sex generally becomes obvious. In fact, there are many intersex people who never even realise that they had one of these DSDs. Now, it's important to state how rare this is because you'll often hear people say that intersex is actually much more common. It's as many as 2% of the population, one in 50 people. That's a bit of a misnomer. Now, one expert says that 99% of people who are classified as intersex are actually clearly one or the other, and conditions that exhibit genuine ambiguity is very, very rare. Right? So it's important to note that. I think this is, though, evidence of the effect of the fall. In Genesis 1, we see that everything God made was good and very good. But in Genesis 3, we see that that perfection was lost and all kinds of things have been affected. Romans 8 puts it starkly. Creation has been subjected to futility, verse 20. It's in bondage to corruption, verse 21. It's groaning, verse 22, and longing for release, for the redemption of our bodies. It's a reality around us in lots of different ways. And I think we see that people labour within a fallen world with great suffering. Do you think of someone with gender dysphoria? Uh, the word dysphoria is a kind of opposite of the word euphoria. You think of how wonderful euphoria feels like. You feel clear in your mind. You feel triumphant. You feel energised and excited. Everything is good in your world. Now think of the reverse of all of that. You feel confused. You feel unsure. You feel depleted. You feel defeated. Andrea Long Chu, writing in the New York Times, says dysphoria feels like being unable to get warm, no matter how many layers you put on. It feels like getting on an aeroplane to fly home, only to realise mid-flight that this is it. You're going to spend the rest of your life on an aeroplane. And, and as you read, it's, it's like she's trying to find all of these metaphors. How, how do I explain what this is like? And that last one is, is such a powerful image. Like you're going somewhere, but you realise that you're never going to get there. You're never home. You're never home in your gender. It's an incredibly painful place to be. And for many, there is an intense level of self-loathing. Sinead Watson is part of something called the Gender Dysphoria Alliance. I'm going to kind of trace her story throughout this sermon. She describes it as complete hopelessness. She constantly felt like she was born wrong. She felt physically sickened by her own body. 
I felt like my reproductive system was so disgusting and wrong that I had to remove it, even if that meant death. I felt infected. I wanted to cut it out, she says. Now, as Christians, stories like this should tug at our heartstrings. I mean, these are people made in God's image and valuable and precious, and so we should grieve the suffering that they're experiencing. We mourn the consequences of the fall, how a perfect creation has been distorted and people suffer because of it. And so as we hear these stories and we feel the compassion, we may well think that it's best for us to help them change gender, to support them in transitioning, particularly since it's often couched in very urgent terms. Sinead Watson says, something was fundamentally wrong with me that needed correction, and if I didn't make those corrections, I'd never be happy. I'd end up killing myself. And we often hear this, don't we, that this is, this is essential. We must affirm someone's gender identity for their own sake, for their own safety. But I believe this is the wrong response. I believe it's neither wise nor good to support someone in transitioning gender for a whole number of reasons. I want to give you three. The first one is it's not biologically possible. However much we might want to change this, our sex is a biological reality. We're male and female right down to our DNA. Paula Johnson writes, today we know that every cell has a sex and what it means is that men and women are different down to the cellular and molecular levels. It means that we're different across all of our organs, from our brains to our hearts, our lungs and our joints. And so you actually can't change that. You can't change your DNA. So it's actually not accurate to say that you can change gender. It's a false promise. And actually many people discover this for themselves. That's what Sinead Watson discovered. She underwent gender reassignment, cross-sex hormones, top surgery to remove her breasts, but later detransitioned, went back as much as she could because she realised that it hadn't worked, that she actually couldn't change gender. She writes, I couldn't accept myself until my body was right, but here's the thing that they don't tell you. That male body you so wish you had, you'll never have it. Ever. You tell yourself, I know I'm not literally male, but if I can just pass as a man, that would be good enough. But you cannot live a lie for the rest of your life. Not happily, anyway. So even after pumping myself full of hormones and having my breasts amputated, I still wasn't happy because I wasn't male and I knew it. Because I can't be, because we can't change sex. So secondly, though, I think the treatments for gender transitioning are both harmful and irreversible. This includes puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and surgery. We're told that none of this is that invasive and it's all reversible, but this is not true. Take puberty blockers, for instance. The psychiatrist-in-chief at Johns Hopkins Hospital writes, puberty suppression hormones prevent full organisation and maturation of the brain and inhibit fertility. Cross-gender hormones increase a child's risk for coronary disease and sterility. Oral estrogen, which is administered to boys, may cause thrombosis, cardiovascular disease, weight gain, elevated blood pressure, gallbladder disease, and breast cancer. Endocrinologist Dr. William J. Malone says that hormones significantly increase the risk for heart attacks, stroke, high blood pressure, 
and liver damage. And it's also worth noting that the cross-sex hormones need to be taken for the rest of your life, and we don't know yet what the long-term impact of them will be. And then consider surgical interventions. Our Boston Children's Hospital offers gender-affirming hysterectomies for children. If you go onto their website, you'll see this helpful little video for doctor speaking cheerfully, calmly, warmly, some nice piano music over the top. But hang on. This is a hysterectomy for a child. It's the removal of that child's uterus, the fallopian tubes, perhaps their ovaries. That is irreversible. That child will never be able to have a child of their own. This is irreversible. And what would happen if that child in another five years or ten years changed their mind after puberty, realised that they wanted to be a woman? And see, the, the reality is that actually many children who present with gender dysphoria do change their minds. The National Association of Practicing Psychiatrists reports that the great majority of children who attend gender clinics tend to resolve these issues when they go through puberty so long as a cautious therapeutic approach is adopted. See, actually, there's, a, there's a, a moral and a legal peril here, I think, of pushing people down a certain pathway that is irreversible, and people are starting to sense this. Three countries, the UK, Finland and Sweden, have recently undertaken systematic reviews of treatments for gender dysphoria, and all of them have decided to tighten up the measures. So in Finland, for instance, gender reassignment interventions must be done, they say, with a great deal of caution and no irreversible treatment should be initiated. They urge instead to help young people explore their identity more carefully and say that hormone therapy should be limited only to those with permanent and severe gender dysphoria and there should be no surgical interventions until they're at least 18. In Sweden, according to their printed guidelines, they say the risks of puberty-suppressing treatment and gender-affirming hormonal treatment currently outweigh the possible benefits. And so they should be only offered in exceptional cases. I think that there will be a continued tightening up of rules around this, provide more careful guardrails for the process, but sadly it comes too late for many. I was reading a story of someone who says, I want to tell everyone what they took from us, what irreversible really means, and what that reality looks like for us. They write, I have no sensation down there at all. You could stab me with a knife and I wouldn't know. The entire area is numb, like it's shell-shocked and unable to comprehend what happened even four years on. They didn't tell me, they didn't warn me, they just let me go on with this. So I don't think we should do it because the treatments are harmful and irreversible. But thirdly, transitioning doesn't deal with the other issues. Now, many people who are diagnosed as gender dysphoric have a raft of other issues in their life. Uh, there's been some research done by a newly opened gender clinic, clinic in, the, in New South Wales. They found that most people who present with gender dysphoria came with other mental health issues, anxiety, depression, behavioural disorders, autism. They also had a, an array of difficult childhood experiences, perhaps family conflict or their parent had a mental illness or there was bullying or so on or they had separation from their parents. 
And so these people concluded from their study that it is difficult to untangle gender dysphoria from these other factors. And so instead, we should pursue a, a trauma-informed approach to supporting these people. So the place of trauma in gender dysphoria is tragically common. I read the story of a tragic story of someone called Rose, who at the age of four, just four, found her murdered mother's body at the bottom of a staircase. Her, her mother's boyfriend had killed her mother. She was adopted at the age of six, but always wanted to be a boy. And the psychiatrist says, during the assessment, Rose commented that she wanted to be a boy because boys were stronger than girls. She acknowledged that she'd had this recurring thought that had she been a boy, she would have been able to protect her mother from the boyfriend because boys are stronger than girls. It's clear that this horrific trauma had shaped this young girl's gender identity. But what's so sad is that so many stories you read, people have felt like those larger issues, those other issues have been glossed over and that psychiatrists see one thing and then push them down a path towards gender transition. And often these issues remain and remain untreated. Again, John Mayer from Johns Hopkins Hospital, which pioneered gender reassignment surgery, they did a long-term study of patients and they found that patients who had transitioned had much the same problems with relationships, work and emotions as before. They hoped that they would emerge now from their emotional difficulties to flourish psychologically had not been fulfilled. And as people start to deal with these other issues, Many of them uh, come to see that they have the same kind of story, that actually they only started to feel truly healthy, not when they changed gender, but often when they changed back and started dealing with these deeper issues. One person says, being supported in my trans identity didn't help me. Letting go of it and accepting myself as a woman did. Changing my body didn't help me find lasting peace. I helped myself by tracing back my trans identity and dysphoria to trauma and working through that. So I think as people of God, as people who feel compassion for those who are needy, who are struggling and suffering, I think the best place for us to put that compassion is to advocate for these people and to help them work through the issues that they are feeling and experiencing. That's why I think that the new laws here in Victoria are so dangerous. I mean, it's clear that there's all of these deep and complex issues going on, but here in Victoria, if you so much as kind of delay or try to stop someone from transitioning, then that's illegal. And so patients will not receive the kind of careful treatment that they need. So as a summary, I, I don't think it's either wise or good to help people transition gender. It's not truly possible. The treatments can be harmful and they're irreversible and it doesn't deal with the other issues that are so often at play. But you'll notice that none of these reasons are particularly theological or spiritual. And yet I think that there is a spiritual concept and reality that underpins all of them. In Psalm 93, we read, the world is established. It shall never be moved. That's a big concept for us to consider. That this world, that our bodies, we have been created by God. He is in control 
He's established this. It can't be moved. And in transgenderism, we're questioning one of the fundamental realities of God's creation. You know, there's, there's light, there's dark, there's earth, there's sea, there's sun, moon, there's day, there's night, there's male, there's female. These are the kinds of realities that God has placed into the world. He's established these things and they cannot be moved. And if we try to do that, if we try to blur that or confuse that or defy that, it doesn't actually work. Things go wrong. Okay, so, so what should we do instead? How should we lovingly respond to those who have gender dysphoria? How can we support them? What can we do differently? Well, first of all, I want, to, I want to suggest three things, and here's the first thing. We need to help people find their spiritual identity. See, at its heart, I would argue that transgenderism is all about identity. It's the quest to, to find who we are. Uh, you see this in lots of ways. That's why there's a transgender flag. I mean, why do we have a flag? We, we identify with a country or a football team. We fly the flag because it gives us a sense of identity. It's who I am with. This is the group that I identify with. I think this is one of the reasons why pronouns are so important. It's a way of defining yourself, creating yourself. This is my identity. But what if it, what if it doesn't work? What if those promises aren't fulfilled and the problems remain? And what if there's actually a better alternative? You see, we were made to find our identity in God. He is our creator and we exist by him and for him. Philippians 1, for, for by him all things were created, all things were created through him and for him. And things started going wrong when, when humanity tried to reject that and st instead tried to make ourselves the creator so that we could create our own identities. And so we've kept looking for these identities in all kinds of places. We might look for our identity and our achievements or our wealth or our skills, our possessions, our families, and now in our age, people look for their identity in their gender. And really, transgenderism is just taking this to the next level. It's us saying that we can, we can create, recreate what God has made. We can change all of that. Vaughan Roberts says, it says, you're free even from nature. Not even our bodies should be allowed to restrict us in our self-definition. We're gods and we can create ourselves but it's an illusion. You see, we're not God. And when we try to be God, things go awry. And so we have to humble ourselves before God and accept his wisdom, accept his design. And I think if we do that, then we'll discover the wisdom and the love in that design. See, one of the subtle little uh, elements of transgenderism you might have noticed is the idea that your sex is assigned. The idea that a doctor just comes along to a little baby and assigns its sex. This is male, this is female. It's kind of suggesting that someone else is controlling your identity and once you grow up you can defy that. You can define yourself. That's not true but yet in a strange way there is some truth to it. See, I think we can say that our sex is assigned, but not by some weird doctor, but by a loving creator. 
Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We are handcrafted by God. He has knit you and I together as a man or as a woman. There's value in that. There's beauty in that. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. The fall has disrupted that and made things difficult for us. But through Christ, we can find wholeness. See, Jesus allowed his body to be destroyed so that we could rise with him and to live out a new whole identity. We were made to be male and female and we can be remade by this good God who can help us live in alignment with how he's created us. So we need to trust him on this. Our task as God's people, as people of compassion, is to try and help people live in alignment with how God has made them. This will take humility. See, ultimately we're saying that we have to trust God's creation, his purpose for us. And this is, doesn't fit in our culture. Sam Albury says, our culture says your psychology is your sexual identity. Let your body be conformed to it. The Bible says your body is your sexual identity. Let your mind be conformed to it. So it takes humility. It takes trusting in Jesus and his plan for us. And then practically, I want to suggest a second thing. At a practical level, I think we need to celebrate gender. We've been made male and female, so we need to embrace that. If you're a parent, you really need to help your kids see that, how God has made them, and to celebrate that. This is not just for parents, this is for all of us. In the world around us, we need to be celebrating who God has made us. We need to be living out God's design for us as men or women. See, our culture is utterly confused on gender, and so we need to be clear I think we need to engage with others around this, engage our kids before they ask questions, and then when they do ask questions, we need to be ready. I think this means enjoying the breadth of gender within the gender binary. What does that mean? Well, one of the great ironies, I think, of the transgender movement is how old-fashioned their view of gender is. In your notes, you'll see a, a little diagram it's put out by Mermaids UK. It's a transgender advocacy group. And it charts the gender spectrum from a Barbie to a GI Joe. It's depicting the idea that this is all of the different types of genders that there are. And so if you're a boy who likes playing with Barbie dolls, you're probably actually a girl. And if you're a girl who likes GI Joes or likes football or likes being a mechanic, you're actually a boy. Yeah. Do you see how incredibly sexist that is? I mean, haven't we spent decades trying to say that uh, there's lots of variety, there's lots of ways to be a man or a woman? It's bizarre. But it shows the weird thinking that it's at play, that if you don't fit this narrow stereotype of your gender, you actually belong in the other one. That's not how it's supposed to be. That's why I think we need to explore the breadth of gender within the gender binary. That means, as Christians, we, we need to help people see that there's lots of ways to be a man. There's lots of ways to be a woman. 
I actually think the Bible is wonderfully helpful here. So in the Bible, we have this whole range of characters who are clearly male or female, but they break down, they break out of any narrow stereotype. So you have David, who's both a warrior and a poet. You have JL, this remarkable woman who kills someone with a tent peg. And then there's Jesus, who flipped the tables but also wept. So there's lots of ways in the Bible to be a man or a woman. So we need to help people explore this. I think this is particularly important for young women. In the past, gender dysphoria was usually observed in young boys, generally boys, aged two to four. But in the last few years, it's emerged a lot more among teenage girls. They actually call it rapid onset gender dysphoria. Uh, Stats from Planned Parenthood in the US say that 91% of transgender people now are female and the average age is 15 and a half. In fact, there's been a 4,400% rise in the number of teenage girls in the UK sending, uh, seeking gender treatments. There's something going on here. There's some confusion here. I read a story of someone, uh, their daughter, I think, was in an all-girls class, 28 girls, and seven, suddenly seven of them were identifying as non-binary or, or as boys. And, one, and the writer's daughter was one of them. And she was trying to work out how this happened. And it turned out that there'd been someone in the class, a, a teacher who talked about you, can, you should explore your gender identity. If you feel uncomfortable in your body, it might mean that you're transgender. Now, this girl had just had her first period. She felt incredibly uncomfortable in her body. And from that moment, she thought she was a boy. Surely we need to think about this. Surely there's something we need to give space for people to truly explore who they are, to realise that there's so much breadth in what it means to be a man or a woman. I was amazed by the story of Brit. She uh, transitioned from being a woman to a man and then detransitioned. She says, I was never comfortable in my skin as a woman before transitioning. Society said that I needed to be X, Y, Z in order to be a woman, and I was none of those things. So transitioning felt right. Then for the next 10 years, I struggled with depression and anxiety and actual gender dysphoria, something I never truly understood until I tried to be the man that I wasn't. So nine months ago, I stopped taking my hormones for good and have since started the process of detransitioning. And let me tell you, it's truly the best decision I've ever made for myself. I miss the woman I never got to be, but then I realised that she was staring me in the mirror all along. My name is Brit and I am she. So I think we uh, need to help people explore their, uh, their gender. And then thirdly, I think we need to hold the line as God's people. It's fascinating to think of where we are right now as a society. I actually preached on transgenderism four years ago and things were very different. It had become an issue, and I could sense that it was going to become a bigger issue, but it's incredible how far this has advanced. It's a ruling norm, and any dissenting opinion now is, is crushed. So where will we be in another four years, I wonder? One thought is that uh, the ideology will become ever more oppressive. Currently, it's legal for me to preach this sermon but some of what I've suggested might not be legal for you to speak, speak to someone one-to-one. Perhaps 
that'll change. Perhaps I won't be allowed to preach a sermon like this. Or certainly in the last fortnight, we've seen how we could be silenced by the media or, or, or kind of overwhelmed by the media response. I mean, if J.K. Rowling can be cancelled as a transphobe, what hope do Christian preachers have? How long do we wait until we hear cases of, of parents seeing their children taken away from them because they haven't affirmed their gender transition? This is already the case in North America. How long do we hear of preteens getting surgeries as they already can in America in some places? All of those things are possible. But I actually suspect that things might go very differently. You see, I think our culture is coming up against something so profound, so fundamental, that it can't actually be sustained. Remember, it's not biologically possible to change gender, so we can't just keep denying that. One writer says, there's only so much divergence between prevailing theories and intractable reality that a, soci that a society can survive. Like There's only so much time you can go up against that before it breaks you. And similarly, there's been a demand, for, uh, the demand for trans rights has started to bring out a response. So FINA, the World Swimming's governing body, has tightened its rules around eligibility to protect the integrity of women's sport. There's also finally growing calls to protect women's private spaces. Uh, so many trans rights have been won at the expense of women's rights and there's a growing realisation that more must be done here. There's actually a thing called Hands Across the Aisle, which is a, a coalition of conservative Christians and, and radical feminists who've come together to defend women's rights. But I think the most decisive thing will be when the true impact of gender the ideology is felt in the lives of the vulnerable. When we start to see more and more people detransition, and we even see legal cases around this, this is already starting to happen. In July this year, the British government closed down the Tavistock Centre, till now the nation's leading gender clinic, because they believed that they had effectively failed in their duty of care for vulnerable children. An extensive review found that the clinic failed to treat other mental health issues of the patients, choosing always to focus on gender transition, and they'd cause potentially irreversible damage for children through their prescriptions. Leaked documents from the clinic found that some staff were so deeply concerned, but they were silenced. One staff member said, let's pray that I'm wrong, because if I'm not wrong, very many vulnerable children have been very poorly treated and will be left with potentially a lifetime of damage here. In fact, 40 clinicians left the clinic in three years. And there's more like this coming. The Age recently published an article telling the story of uh, a woman who was born female, transitioned to be a male 10 years ago, had, had a hysterectomy, top surgery, the works, and has since detransitioned and is now suing her psychiatrist for not doing more to stop her in doing that. So I think it's important for us to stay humble and to hold the line, to hold our position here and then be ready to receive those who have suffered. See, sadly, there are going to be so many people who are caught up in this who will feel like they have no home anywhere. They've tried everything else and we need to be there to catch them, 
to care for them. So in the Christian gospel, we have the resources that people need, that people are actually looking for. We can find our identity as a human made by God, male and female, and then we can find a new identity as a son or a daughter of our risen king, carrying the promise of complete perfection for our bodies and our souls. In this world, in this life, we groan with our bodies that aren't perfect or minds that don't fit those bodies, but a day is coming when all of this will be changed. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He will transform our bodies, not from male to female, not from one gender to the other, but from lowly to glorious, from confused to clear, from dysphoric to euphoric. That's what Jesus promises to do. And that's what we have the hope of because his body was transformed from lowly to glorious. This is the gospel that we have that we have to share with others. So let's pray for the chance to do that. I want to finish with the story of Walt Heyer, someone who found God through a very difficult experience of gender himself. As a child, Walt's grandmother would dress him up as a girl. He writes, My grandmother withheld affirmations of me as a boy, but she lavished delighted praise upon me when I was dressed as a girl. Feelings of euphoria swept over me with her praise, followed later by depression and insecurity about being a boy. Her actions planted the idea in me that I was born in the wrong body. She nourished and encouraged this idea, and over time it took on a life of its own. He'd also experienced some some other abuse as a child. He grew up, got married, but still cross-stressed, and this ended his marriage. In midlife, he sought a, a psychologist for evaluation. He was diagnosed with gender dysphoria and told that surgery would be the cure. So at the age of 42, Walter Heyer became Laura Jensen. At first, he says, it seemed to be okay. The gender conflict seemed to fade away and I was generally happy for a while. But then his mental health deteriorated and he came to realise that actually what he was dealing with was all of these issues from his childhood. The reprieve provided by surgery, he says, and life as a woman was only temporary. Hidden deep underneath the makeup and the clothing was the little boy carrying the hurts from a traumatic childhood and he was making himself known. Being a female turned out to be only a cover-up, not a healing. Things got really difficult and bad for him. He became an alcoholic, considered suicide, but then sought help and ended up with a Christian counsellor and a local church where a group of people surrounded him and supported him, committing to pray for him. And ultimately he decided that he wanted to be a man once more. There were still issues that followed on, a lot of physical difficulties, but he's embraced life. He's begun a ministry for detransitioners and ended up remarrying himself. He concludes, changing genders is short-term gain with long-term pain. Instead of encouraging them to undergo unnecessary and destructive surgery, let's affirm and love our young people just the way they are. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you for the chance to look at such a complex and difficult issue. Lord, uh, 
we appreciate that this is a very personal thing. There are people in our lives, may even be people here, who are grappling with this in a very profound and a real way. Lord, be, be their comfort. Thank you that you have created us, created us in your image, created us male and female. We mourn the way the fall has affected everything in this world, our relationships, our lives, ourselves, even our experience of gender. But Lord, thank you that through Jesus there is hope, there is a way to live in accordance with how you've designed us. Help us to trust that. Lord, help us as a church to be a place where people can come and explore this together that we can provide the love and the clarity that others need. Lord, thank you that there is a future coming where we will be raised up with perfect bodies and perfect minds, that we might experience the euphoria of life with you, life as we were made to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.